0: Hello everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Me podcast where this week we're going to be chatting everything to do with our upcoming anti-stigma summer sessions, ASS as the <laughs> abbreviation is and not any other ways of pronouncing it I assume, um, lo- so yeah and today chatting about this we have some of the ASS architects, we have Maeve, hi Maeve. Hi. And we also have Lynn. Hello.
1: Hey, hey, hey.
0: And as always, I am joined by Daniel McKenzie.
1: <gasps> co-host D. Jingle is back.
0: What did you just say?
1: I just oh, said nice. co-host D. The jingle is back. The, we've, jing- oh, the right, jingle. jingle.
0: I didn't know. Yeah. What, I got it. Yeah, I that's all right. It. We've got it. I liked the singing. I just didn't know I, yeah. the word jingle. I didn't get. And I am Nick Um, the other person who is here. So, yeah, thank you everyone for coming along and having a little chat. This episode will be, as well as telling you what's coming up in our summer sessions, Um, I'm going to struggle saying that the whole way, aren't I? Um, Also, we have a really exciting recording that I did with an author called Spencer. He wrote an amazing book called Other Tongues, all about his experiences of his mental health, he, uh, his diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder, the reactions he's had to that, and it really, really interesting. Also, he's going to be reading some extracts of the book as well, so look forward to that coming up. That uh, was one of our anti-stigma sessions that went out live um, last Thursday, and it was great. So, as the creators of these summer sessions i'm going to start with you lynn what are they um, all about
2: i think my full title is anti-stigma summer session architect as you referred to me as cool architect oh, ass architect, as a, <laughs> a, a, as architect. <laughs> um So yeah we had a series of online events and engagement um, during mental health awareness week and that went really well really engaged a lot of people a lot of people wouldn't normally engage and it really um, created a community of engagement with our volunteers Um, and yeah it took a global health pandemic but we latched on to the learning and the wonders that is um, virtual events and how that can grow our social movement and yeah so on the back of that summer was happening and summer for a lot of people was not happening so we decided to use that as a, as a space as a banner aim to run a series of online events activities and workshops all around growing your movement growing your online movement connecting with people that um, old friends new supporters anyone that wants to get involved can get involved now from the luxury of wherever they are um, right now and yeah so we did that we've been working um hard with our volunteers to, um, yeah, come up with ideas, different ideas, to to get involved that will interest people over a different range of genres, and types of events, so there's a little bit of something for everyone coming up.
0: Sounds great. Maeve, what are some of the things that you're excited about that are happening?
3: Um, Well, this will have already happened by the time people are hearing this, so, but will still be available for people to watch online. Tonight we have a series of monologues going out as part of the Travis New Writers Night um, that have been developed by In Motion in partnership with Me. So there's going to be a series of brand new monologues by emerging writers performed by professional actors and you will still be able to watch all of those um website sure Facebook. um youtube channel i think is actually the what i am what i am is it? desperately trying to grow towards there um so some, <laughs> um something else that i'm really excited about that's coming up and um, we've just been talking to some of our volunteers about how um this is going to shape up but we i think as lynn was saying so many of the events that we have um Started to develop as part of the summer sessions have come completely out of the things that volunteers are just really interested in talking about and really passionate about, things that really connect with them. Um, and the event that we're that we've been planning today is another one of those. And um, looking at pieces of art, so films, TV programs, books that have been particularly significant to people, whether that's specifically something about mental health that really kind of resonates with them and their own experiences or maybe something that isn't overtly connected um, to mental health but has just been something that they like or something that's helpful to them so and that's going to take the form of a discussion between a group of volunteers um, and so that will be that will be going out later in July and yeah
0: that sounds brilliant. I love that so many of the ideas of where they've come from the volunteers and then went in to really, I guess, make the best of what is a bit of a rubbish situation right now and really get out things that they care about and are really interested in as well. It gives us a lot more scope for probably a variety of different types of events because we're putting them all on digitally, not Limited in the way that you might be with venues or locations or things like that, and so it should be really good, really good levels of engagement, which we saw during Mental Health Awareness Week yeah. as well.
2: No, I think that's <laughs> a really important point, um because we did find that with Mental Health Awareness Peak Week.
4: <laughs>
2: I said peak. I was gonna say people were tuning in. That <laughs> was talk-
1: the <laughs> peak of our good. year. Good.
2: <laughs> oh, oh nice. um, yeah. <laughs> we have just here,
1: just here for the razzmatazz, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and also providing up to date impact statistics. Yeah, it, we managed to reach a lot of people, and for that, yeah, with the conversations were starting. Yeah, between people that wouldn't normally engage, and and just reflecting back on our volunteers as well. Yeah, making the best of a rubbish situation, and it's all impacted them in different ways. And of course, our ongoing work is happening around. Um, getting views around how their, their services have been impacted, and making sure they're taking care of themselves. Um, but it's been an opportunity for people to engage in ways that they maybe haven't done in a while. We're connecting up people, like today when we were catching up. Volunteers haven't necessarily worked together or before or known each other's work. They have that opportunity to do that before. Um, they haven't. They have that opportunity to do that now, um, which is really exciting. Um, and hearing a lot of voices and um, we've had quite a few zooms as you can imagine in the lead up and planning for this and we're getting loads of people turning out to them wanting to chat wanting to connect And i know what that feels like um tuning in and, and connecting people um up with the similar passions to you and um, so i'm sure that this is a, a form of events and also um, engagement that will, will last beyond the current situation
0: definitely and d you mentioned there about Mental Health Awareness Week and that being the real peak of the year. So what was it about the national event in March you thought was lacking?
1: Um, um <laughs> no, I'm
0: only kidding. That's not the question oh. I would You ask.
1: were facilitating <laughs> the Q&A. Uh, uh,
0: oh. No, oh. I was thinking about when Maeve was chatting about films and one of the potential events that we've got coming up along with films and that you studied film um you drop it in now and again just to That's no I tell people I worked in
1: radio and tell people I studied films because that Did makes me you... sound like I mm-hmm. just watched
0: films Did you study film
1: and and English literature yes. just because well. I'm also well read
0: <laughs> well, All I'm saying is I wouldn't know if you weren't <laughs> dropping it in
1: <laughs> So
0: why? how do you think that film uh, particularly is a really good way of expressing how you're feeling or relating to how you're feeling
1: let me just pull out my dissertation um, <laughs> I think media generally um, but now that we're talking about films um, it's a really really great way of seeing representations of how you might be feeling on the screen that's kind of done in a way that might not be super obvious um, you don't necessarily have to say when you know you're watching something, this is how I feel. You can kind of watch something and, and evoke a feeling, or um, what's the term? They, no, I'm not going to get into the jargon of it all. Um, but be able to show something in a kind of hyperpar way without actually having to say oh, I'm feeling this way or I'm struggling with my mental health. So that through kind of imagery and music and maybe you're struggling and you don't want to say to someone, I'm struggling with my mental health. Do you want to watch this film with me? And you can kind of maybe hint at it that way. Um, so I think it gives people just really great, as with writing and, and reading lots of other things in poetry, a really great creative outlet to kind of express what they're going through um, and kind of, you know, hint at things without having to, if they're not especially confident, without having to say, "Oh, actually, I'm struggling right now," um, and I think we, you know, we know that finding creative outlets to express ourselves is hugely beneficial for for us and our healing and recovery and whatever else we might be going through. But also, as a way of connecting and reaching new audiences and other people who might be experiencing similar things to us. Um, yeah, I cry a lot at films, so. I cried at John Wick when the dog died and that stuck with me for like two weeks. That's early on. It was really not sad. Tra- oh yeah, no, it was still... Some may still say it's the through. trigger
0: of the whole thing. Yep. Yeah, not a traditionally emotional film, John Wick. Not really...
1: It was for me, it was on, for
0: me. <laughs> not, not so much pulling your heartstrings. Maeve, you've worked with Bridget loads on, on books and trying to achieve a similar thing with her don't judge a book stuff. Do you think... Again the literature and books is another way of
3: yeah exactly I mean it's exactly things. as Steve was saying I think it um, all of those all of those things books films TV programs um, they can both provide a connection um if you read something and you think that is me that is the way that I feel about that then that is really helpful. Um, But they also can provide a whole new perspective for somebody in a really engaging way, in a really entertaining way, um, where somebody doesn't necessarily think that they might be about to discover something about mental health, about their own mental health, about somebody else's mental health, about what it means to have a particular diagnosis or whatever that might be. Um, But suddenly you are presented with this new way of viewing the world, a new way of understanding people around you or maybe yourself. Um, so, yes, I think that it's a hugely impactful way for people to engage over this issue.
1: I think, as well, something that you know, with films and books and everything else, and you know, it's something one of our volunteers, Chuck, does really well is that I think, you know, with all these mediums, sometimes people are so scared to use humour to talk about things like mental health because it's like, what if I say the wrong thing? Or, you know, what if people think I'm undermining what's going on? And Chick does that so well in his poetry because it's so brilliantly funny. And it's not always overtly about struggling with the mental health condition or, you know, struggling with your mental health overall. And, you know, films do that really well too in that you can kind of be, like, poking fun at something without it being you know, without undermining the seriousness of, of what we're talking about and what the, the concept is and yeah, I think that's a good thing
0: for people too Definitely and what we're going to have is so much of that over these uh, sessions as well mm-hmm. so if you wanted to find out where you can see something, watch something get involved, take a part in a workshop up on our website, seemescotland.org just on the homepage, we've got a banner there that links to all the information um, that we've got and everything that, that's going to be coming up and more will be getting added there all the time as they are confirmed and planned and, and put in. So we've got the chat now coming up with Spencer Lynn just before we do. I guess you can you can lead us into it. You you've chatted to Spencer a couple of times and obviously first talked to him after he watched or I think. Was he, did he watch the last event that we did with Tina and and decide to get involved that way how did that come about
2: he did indeed um how that came about was um Tina I actually think you were there Nick when we were we were chatting with Tina preparing her for her event and her book was about to get delivered and she's like oh it's this local guy Spencer and he's written this stuff and it's amazing and apparently he's really thanked me and we we're obviously like oh what's the book you're getting looking back to books and connecting up and said a lot, he's been inspired to tell his story because I told my story and yeah, um, I think there's some lovely tie-ins there how, yeah, by opening up, by being, by right, talking about your experiences, telling your story, you're inspiring others and people that you might not know about or directly know about and get yourself a thank you in, in a novel. Um, but yeah, um, so Spencer's written about, yeah, his experiences. Um, it's sort of a, it's a six-parter of, um random thoughts some help self-help explaining education humor poetry um so a little bit of everything um but yeah the power of the of the social movement from one of our volunteers inspiring someone else and yeah here's hoping that he goes on to inspire and if i
3: could just jump in there because i think it's important to know about the summer sessions we want literally anybody can do one of these sessions if they would like to if you have something to say about mental health and stigma um, and you've got an idea for how to do that or you've just got the desire to do it but you would like some help to develop an idea then please get in touch with us um contact information will be on the website um As Nick described and so we are more than happy for anybody if you're an individual person if you're part of an organization that has an interest in this we'd love to hear from you we'd love to work with you and the whole point of this we are in a totally new situation where we everything is moving online we're doing things in a different way and we can be really experimental and we can try things out so if you've got something that you would like to try
0: out then please it out with us. Beautifully said Maeve so here is Spencer.
5: So I guess starting off Spencer just like what kind of made you want to do this today?
4: We, we still live in a society where, where we have things that are classed as taboo subjects um, and uh, just like things are only taboo because they're not spoken about and I think an opportunity like this i if, if, so 've just published a book about kind of my taboo subject um but but the, yeah, this is just another way of making something accessible um and making people open and invited to a discussion that they might not usually get every day and I think if we can build that up and make those conversations happen happen every day, then hopefully the world is going to progress to be a somewhat more accepting place fingers crossed yeah
5: definitely that is i mean it's a great thing to do it's not an an easy thing to do to kind of put your your life and your experiences out there and speak about that so but it is it is through doing that um and people sharing their stories and their experiences that is really going to make the change and change the way people think change the way people behave as well because yeah it is one of those things if you don't no, I mean you can never really know exactly what it feels like to be someone else and to feel their experiences but it can make a huge difference to hear someone speaking about those as compared to reading about it in a textbook or not hearing about it at yeah. all as well which is quite often the case and the diagnosis that your diagnosis that you've had have is schizoaffective disorder which is one of those ones that isn't spoken about as much you don't hear about it as much like see mental health affects everyone in different ways and all mental health conditions are really serious and there's some kind of depression anxiety particularly which are spoken about a lot and there's a lot more in the public dialogue about them which is really good and can really help people to understand what it's like for someone going through that something like schizoaffective disorder it's just not out there as much is it
4: yeah no yeah there's a lot less information and i think with that because there's less information there then becomes an assumption that it must make it so vastly different but I I would like put money on the fact that that is everyone could relate to the same experience as I have with my mental health in some way like you know we're we're not as different as the name would suggest
5: yeah it is one of those ones that the more people talk about it as well particularly they can help to then know that and see that there are maybe other common experiences or things that people could understand it's not just this other thing that you just that it's just like well, i don't know about that that's just not not for me to yeah. know. <laughs> it's just it's a it's something that someone is experiencing and here and everyone experiences things differently anyway and yeah, um, yeah. i guess that kind of also nicely leads us on to the first of the readings you were going to do which kind of sets the scene a little bit and it's a bit of an introduction to the diagnosis as well so if it's mm-hmm. all right for you spencer just that to
4: go on with that, yeah. So this this is kind of at the very start of the book. Uh, it's called a cataclysmic concoction, and it's sort of yeah. It's a very brief description into what schizoaffective disorder is, because as we've just said, I imagine a lot of people haven't heard of it or have sort of heard of it, but probably have the wrong idea. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, this is that. Um, To describe schizoaffective disorder in a nutshell, it's the spicy recipe of cracking the egg bipolar disorder, depressive or manic, into a bowl of schizophrenia. And if you stir long enough, it can create a dangerously sour and explosive cake that is very easily burnt. Now, if that doesn't tickle your taste buds, good. The cake is horrific. Around 3% of people hospitalized for mental health conditions in the UK suffer from schizoaffective disorder is typically categorized as a combination of schizophrenia with some sort of mood disorder, which could be named negative symptoms, categorized by that of the likes of depression, or symptoms more aligning to mania. So in reality, there are these two types, depressive or bipolar. The latter includes an amalgamation of episodes such as hypomania, major depressive or mixed episodes, while the former encapsulates the experiences of primarily major depressive episodes. Both, of course, are categorized with the symptoms of schizophrenia and psychosis. I think the best way to explain the illness as a whole is to examine what these two ingredients separately are to fully grasp what's going into that nasty, nasty cake. What yeah.
5: made you, I guess like when, when writing that, it's mm-hmm. a really interesting way of putting it, like a recipe for a cake. Yeah. What made you think of putting it in that way?
4: Um, I think... I think because because the 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 condition as a as a whole is sort of just a spectrum, I think you would actually struggle to find any anything that was listed as a symptom that isn 't included in another mental health condition, um, and so I thought that I wanted to find a way of explaining it that made it as accessible and as understandable as possible for somebody who might not know what hypomania is, but everybody knows what feeling about manic is, and everyone knows that they don't want to eat like horrible food. So, so why not try <laughs> to remind them and see if anyone gets it? You know what I mean?
5: Yeah, that that is true. No one, does, no one likes to eat horrible food. Could that will just change Simi's whole tagline? Could just. <laughs>
4: really but, right there. So that, that is, yeah,
5: it is a really. It's a good way of putting it, that kind of metaphorical sense can certainly help people it's also interesting as well like why because you really don't play down that it's a bit shit basically Um, and and it's not enjoyable whereas it's it's really mixed up everyone people describe their experiences how seemingly as a program will describe what mental health is like and what mental health problems are like for someone to experience was it kind of, was it quite a clear choice for me from the outset to really set out that, you know, what, well, this isn't a fun thing?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think it had to be, it had to, the, the entire book just had to be as honest a representation as I could make it. So, um, kind of, it talks about other things as a kind of experience with, with drug addiction and stuff within the book as well. And, it, you know, particularly with that example, you, when you're describing something like drug addiction it's almost difficult not to glorify it because because there is a reason you become addicted you know like because it feels good yeah. um, and I think it's the same sort of thing with with mental health like you can't talk about it without just saying the truth of like I'm fed up and I'm a bit done with this and it's really just a pain in the arse at the end of the day like more than anything it's a pain in the arse um, and, and I think we're, we're like too afraid to, to admit that. I think a lot of people talk about the battle of mental health, but we don't necessarily talk about that. You actually have to fight that battle. And that battle is actually really exhausting. and It is difficult to do every, every day. Um, and yeah, I think we, we're too easy to dismiss just how knackering it can be yeah. to have a condition that no one else can really see. Or you feel like you can't under explain to someone.
5: Yeah, definitely. And I think it is important to really set out the reality of how it can feel, and and mm-hmm. it kind of emphasises well how much and one of the things that links into the sort of stigma and the discrimination around mental health, not the misconceptions. It can be sometimes that people can associate with almost like a choice that people make to be a certain way, and it really sets out just how much it's not. No one wants this experience like it's not nice mm-hmm. for me to experience this um and how it is very well and i guess also i should say and probably should have said at the start i'm gonna say probably i mean definitely um <laughs> that this we will obviously be having some quite candid conversations around your experiences and with the readings as well so there might will be some strong language um and also potentially if anything is a bit triggering please if you're watching just care of yourself and consider as well how, how you're doing and um, whilst watching this and whilst we are going out live right now uh, the video will also be back on our facebook page afterwards it will save there so if you need to cut away or whatever and come back to it it will be back and available for you to do as well um so the next reading that we're then moving on to is a bit about living with schizoaffective disorder, uh, and what's that been like for you as well?
4: Yeah, so this is a this is, um, uh, the book as a whole is just written in very very short sections because I realised when uh, when I'm not quite feeling myself in my in my own head, um, the thought of picking up a book, let alone like a book about mental health, is so intimidating, and you know I quite often struggle to concentrate through one page. So I tried to make all of them as, you know, bite sized as possible. So this is just a section called Underthought Problems. Um, Living with Schizoaffective Disorder has its problems. Some are obvious, some not. Hollywood has tarted up the illness to form a gang of psychopathic murderers who want to kill their parents and then themselves to name names. Films such as Split and Shutter Island have both pointed the big blame finger towards psychosis and dissociative disorders. And this history of stigmatization in the film industry can be seen as far back as Hitchcock's Psycho, where the horror flick's antagonist is explained with, with a stereotype diagnosis and an outdated Oedipus complex. People living with these disorders are still human. We can still function to varying degrees. I'd like to take a moment to address any screenwriter who might have used the phrase paranoid schizophrenic as a way to explain the actions of any cruel, sadistic, or inhumane characters in the work. With all due respect, you're a shameless, lazy writer. This antagonises a vast group of individuals in the name of a quick profit. Of course, many symptoms can be as horrific in real life as they are portrayed in films, usually more so, but film media will sadly never have the capability to give an accurate experience of a psychotic episode. Not even modern day virtual reality technology can ever achieve this because it fails on two conditions. Firstly, a VR set is used voluntarily, and secondly, it can be switched off when you desire. This sadly has led us to the belief where we must rely on the way mental illness is portrayed through the mediums we have access to with limited results. Albeit research and empathy can help imagine the experiences of hearing voices and hallucinating visuals, but no individual soul, bar those that have been cursed, can ever witness or gain knowledge of what these weighted terms are actually defined by. We can all imagine what some hallucinations might feel like. You may have tried psychedelics. You may recall the feeling of hearing someone whisper your name when no one did, or your phone buzzing in your pocket, but alas, no one has texted. This is actually a sign of mobile addiction. If you experience this, you should probably cut down on your social media usage. And sympathy may give some insight to the more obvious symptoms. However, some problems might not be as obvious as others. So here's a list of problems that people might not realize. You don't seem schizophrenic. No one does. Antipsychotics. This is an atrocious name for a medication. Of course, the name is just what it does on the tin. But the stigma of a name such as this is severely stigmatized that people can have judgmental reactions to it. The word psychotic has connotations that are ill-portrayed in the media and have been for years. Psychosis is not what you see in films. It's not portrayed accurately in any form of media. It's definitely more common in the world than most realise, and it's definitely more common than most of us want to realise. High functionality. I have good days. Not every day starts with a waging and war with the duvet to get out of bed. It is naive to think people with mental illness are unable to function. Often they can, and often they can't. Every diagnosis is a differentiating spectrum. There is is no one anxiety, just like there's no one way to break your leg. Of course, every 24 hours that pass also brings its own spectrum. One hour may be spent in delusion, 20 minutes in extreme mania, and then three hours of working or relaxing just like anybody else. There are no confinements, nor restrictions on the amount of time a disorder can impact someone daily, nor is there a limitation on how destructive or conducive that period may be. One hour, one month. Three minutes, 13 weeks, there are both short term, long term, and everlasting symptoms that spring through the illness's career. Attention from professionals. It is difficult to get doctors to listen or to even get help in the first place. I made an attempt on my life before I was seen by anyone professionally, but they didn't hear me when I said I couldn't make it through the length of a waiting list. It's hard to get help until the last second, which is sadly just a state of the NHS and funding at the present moment. However, Also, many doctors will put certain words in your mouth, or they'll be unable to help unless certain words or answers come up, such as, I am suicidal. But people need help before then. Reactions. Now, episodes of any variety can be abnormal to most people, but they are normal for many of us. So please don't treat someone having a a panic attack like a zoo animal, and please don't let the flatmate screaming at the imaginary man suffer alone. It can be hard and awkward to offer help, yes, but acts of kindness are needed. Sometimes episodes are not even required to deter the eyes of people. Simply acting off or being different can be enough to upset someone's gaze and evoke the word freak to protrude from their tongue. Judgments are noticed and they amplify internal struggles. A smile might bring some calm to a relentless void. Judge less, process more and forgive more.
5: Thanks so much for reading that. So many interesting elements to that and points to pick up on. One, particularly, she started a lot talking about the impact of the media and mm-hmm. films and the portrayal of, um, of illnesses that have sort of psychosis as, a, as part of the diagnosis of, of one of the symptoms. And mm-hmm. do you think that, I mean, how much can that lead to people judging someone who has a diagnosis before they know anything about them,
4: I think I think subconsciously it makes a huge difference. I mean, yeah, I think you would you would struggle. I think any person would struggle not to name something where where some sort of mental health condition has been used as an excuse in a piece of writing or in a piece of work. Um, and and I think yeah I think that has lasting effects on on how we view these illnesses subconsciously in the real world. Like if if your only knowledge of a little known disorder is a really badly portrayed version of that, of course that is going to impact your, your 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 view of that subject. Um,
5: yeah, and, that's your sort of first exposure to something, exactly, or your yeah. only. Is yeah. you, and then thinking, oh, that must be what it's like. They've said that. That got sort of no smoke without fire kind of thought. Like, they would have said that if it it wasn't true. And I think, would you you think as well that it would be easier for anyone who is experiencing sort of mental distress or psychosis in some sense would it be easier to tell someone that you were going through that and to ask for help if you weren't worried about a prejudgment having been formed from? A bad film
4: yeah yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent so I kind of had when I was younger I had the opposite thing like up until I was like 15 16 years old I I assumed that everyone had voices in their head I didn't realize that made me different and then when I got told that I was that that wasn't normal then then that was the moment where I was like oh I don't want to speak to people about this now because now I know I'm different now People have got preconceptions about that because you can tell in someone's reaction if you first say to someone I have voices in my head and they speak to me all the time then you know even just someone's facial expression tells you a world of what their reaction is and um, yeah like it's not that uncommon it's it's very common nowadays Um, you know I think what one in one in a hundred people will experience psychosis across their lives so let's just Talk about it like it's okay, because it is.
5: (laughs) It is totally, and I think the more people who talk about it, the more it can make a difference as well, because it really smashes any misconceptions as to which things like film and media have built up a kind of idea of what someone is like, not just if they experience psychosis, but what that whole person, like a certain type of person is is a person that can experience psychosis or things like that. Whereas yourself, we had um, Tina uh, on last time speaking about her experiences as well and shows you completely that it really can be anyone from different parts Mm -hmm. of life and it's something that can happen to someone um, like for like once, twice or for a short period or it could happen over a lifetime depending on things. But that doesn't really mean that they're a certain type of person to have it. It's just happened to them.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it it can... um with that it's sort of um, yeah I, th- I think I think we're we're in in that kind of sense of that that it can happen to anyone we're also we're all, we also need to remember that that while it might happen to someone or someone experiences maybe even on the daily it's still only a part of of their entire persona and it's not a reason to discredit someone because they might have had an experience one time or a hundred times they you know there's still a 3d entirely other dimensional being and so so one label doesn't dictate someone's entire entity you know what i mean
5: yeah definitely and it does so much more with mental health conditions than it does for other types of labels as well um, and and the other another point, actually, which you mentioned in, in the reading, there was around healthcare as well, and sometimes the difficulty in being able to get help and support when, when asking for help in healthcare. And obviously, we know and we've seen, particularly over the last few months, like how stretched people working in the health service um, are, uh, and how difficult it, it can be to work there as well, and how much time they're actually given to see people and to try and, uh, and do things. And we might have mentioned before in the last video or at least in one of our our podcasts that we've been doing recently that um we did some videos with people working in health and social care some training videos which we're going to release soon and in one of them or a couple of actually quite a few of them were saying that they wanted to be able to spend more time with people but were unable to because of how the system is and how quickly they have to get from different patients and then it is sometimes that that lack of time which then means that people don't always get the kind of the help and the support that they need or if it is I don't know one of our, our other volunteers had spoken about his experiences before about how he experienced self-harm and repeated experiences of self-harm uh, and going to A&E so regularly that they knew his name but they never once asked why he was doing it. They would f- fix his physical wounds but never then went into the point of saying well, why is this happening? And part of that is because of the time as well and it sort of fix what I have to fix and then move on but that's not always easy when there's so much going on for you and what you're experiencing and and sometimes there is more than that and do you think like I mean how has it been difficult to try and get support in health and social care and in times where you haven't what would have made that better for you like what would help you when going to ask for help in health and social care situations
4: so yeah, um, I think it, yeah, it, 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 I think it can be incredibly difficult, and I think that um, that isn't the fault of any individual. That's just sadly the state of affairs of our of our world right now, um, particularly right now. Um, but yeah, I think what what that that exact feeling of being able to spend time and discuss a subject. I think that is the thing that would make a world of difference. Like I, I would be of the opinion that I completely understand there isn't space to treat everyone at one time. So things like waiting lists are necessary and they are obviously always going to be extensive because of the population. But but, but there needs to be some sort of support for people on a waiting list, even if it's just like a phone call once a week, just to check in on them and and say, are you all right we are working to make sure that you're going to get support and it is on its way you just need time but there there isn't that it's just okay you'll put on a waiting list and then you get no contact for maybe 8 months and then you get a letter in the post <laughs> and it's 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 very impersonal and then you go to a 20 minute appointment where you don't where you just kind of discuss an overview of of your problems and the doctor maybe focuses on ones that you don't want them to focus on like you know they they hear maybe you use a certain word and then that's the focus and it's like no that's not the focus that's just this part it's actually this kind of thing but you don't have time to explain that and yeah um yeah so i just think more time and more yeah listen listening i think a lot of this sounds quite bad to say, but I think a lot of medical practitioners actually undermine the, the introspection of people who are asking for help. Um, I, think, I know I myself, I've felt way more equipped to deal with my mental health than, than certain people that have tried to help me on a professional level, because I feel like you're not listening to the way my brain works, and I know how it works better than anyone. So don't assume you know better than me because you have a degree which obviously they will to an extent, but there needs to be, in that case, it needs to become like a compromise conversation.
5: I guess it comes back to that point that we touched a little bit on earlier around how much hearing people's real stories and real experiences in a way that, I mean, and it's different to hear that when you're then sort of in a position of looking to try and help that person because you are the person within healthcare that's responsible for, for getting that yeah. help and support. But in general and in training, to actually listen to the stories and really take on board in general, what it can be like from a personal experience. Um, I think mm-hmm. can make it a huge difference as well. Yeah, definitely. So Some of these issues are kind of touched on uh, in the next reading that we were going to move on to, um, which was around your experiences after a, a suicide attempt when you were in hospital. Um, mm-hmm. So it's quite a, a difficult time for you as well, for what you're experiencing already. So,
4: yeah, if you are, all right to, to kind of go on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so, so by this point, I'd been in, I'd been in A&E for, for two days and was awaiting uh, someone from the mental health team to come and see me. So it kind of picks up in the middle of the chapter. So Wednesday comes. I'm off the drip when a mental health nurse comes to see me. I haven't eaten because the hospital had severely limited food for dietary requirements and I had no one to visit me. I'm I'm told that I will be moved to a psychiatric ward and she would be back within two hours to update me. This is Wednesday. By Friday night, she still hasn't returned, despite me asking the ward nurses to call her every day. By this point, I've eaten one meal, plain rice. I've not slept due to stress. Saturday morning, 6.30 AM. I pack my rucksack and I try to leave. I'm forced to stay under the promise the mental health team will be around to talk to me at 8am. I hold the little hope I have left. So 8am comes. Then 9am. And then 10.30am. At 11am I ask where they are. A nurse tells me that the mental health team don't work on weekends so they should be around Monday. I cannot describe my emotions beyond the word fury but this encompasses nothing compared to the depth of the tsunami that washed over me. Advice for anyone who is helping someone with a mental health condition. Just don't bullshit them. Saturday night, I had a visit from two friends, which was lovely. Won a surprise trip all the way from Dundee. It was in Manchester at this point. They brought me my first proper meal in a week. Fast forward to Tuesday, and I felt like the shell of a person I once was. I trusted no one. I was convinced I was dead or that the doctors were detaining me so that they could be the ones to kill me. That evening, I was transferred to a psychiatric ward at long last. And this is when things slid downhill even more, out of the frying pan and into the shit. I arrived at around 11pm and was put into a room with three other men. A doctor told me I was there to start medication and be monitored only for a few days to make sure I didn't have a bad reaction. Over the coming days, I felt terrified of some patients and the ones that I got on with left within 24 hours of my arrival. By now, I'd missed two weeks of university and was pretty fucking stressed. I was getting worse. So I went back to my old tactic, I lied to them to show that I was better. They'd all lied to me, so why shouldn't I do the same? On Friday night, I had an assessment and was to be discharged without medication. That would be sorted by a crisis team when I left. Another lie. So I wasn't there for medication after all. When I was discharged, I spent the next two weeks closing myself off to the crisis team before I refused to see them again. After what happened, I knew I was better on my own. But you should never negate the help that you need. Hospital can be a horrible experience, but it can also save your life. It has saved many. This is perhaps just an account of a very unlucky experience. If you want a contrasting hospital experience, it's far more in-depth, read Seconds to Snap by Tina McGuff. It goes through all sides of the experience, not just my filtered by distrust account.
5: Yeah, and the impact that must have had on you at so many different stages where you think something's going to happen and then it doesn't, must have really, I can see how that has, as you've described there, left that real feeling of distrust uh, in that and and, but i guess and you touched on it at the end there as well the importance though of for people if they are struggling that they do go down that route because it can really
4: help as well a hundred percent yeah i think um you know, look, looking back at that that situation now, you know, I, I probably went about a year where I refused to to speak to any medical professional about my mental health because that trust was shattered. But looking look, looking back on it from you know, with the benefit of hindsight, the, there is also the benefit that I was in that A and E department for a reason, and and it's probably actually worked out as a positive overall that I had been there and was detained there for. while maybe it could have been handled better but the situation still required it so you can't fret too much about that um
5: definitely and is it we spoke about it a bit before that reading but is it that element of just having an open trusting dialogue is that what would have made the most difference to improve that situation what would have improved that most for
4: you yeah honestly all i wanted was just somebody to sit down and speak to me and And also and and to really listen to me um, because i so I had a conversation with this mental health nurse who came to see me um, and and at that point i'd already decided that that i'd said I was going to say i, I don 't really want to go into a psychiatric ward because i 've been on them before, I know they 're not particularly good for me and I 'm better building my own routine and, and getting home um, but yeah because because of my uh, recent actions at that point that that wasn't an option or or they didn't feel like that could be op- an option I could be trusted with and yeah that was that was hard I wanted hard to really listen and value my opinion I felt like I was being asked questions that they had already decided the answers to yeah if that makes sense
5: yeah it does and um, it all very touches on as well the, the kind of need in general and it is improving, but the need for kind of increased investment in mental health services or or different ways of working that can allow people to have the sort of person centered care based on what that person needs and things like advanced statements can really help with that as well. Um, You can find out information about if you look up advanced statements that kind of haven't heard of it before. It is something that you can write beforehand, which is all about kind of how, what sort of, treatment and things you would like and what would help you in various situations so yeah, I guess anyone who is listening who, who hasn't heard that thinks that might help, they're definitely something that are worth looking into um, and yeah, so I think that, yeah, thank you so much for sharing those experiences around what was going to be like a really really difficult time for you that was clearly not made much easier, easier than it mm-hmm. could have been um, the, the next reading that we were then going to move on to was a little bit different it's kind of on yeah. how mental health can be viewed and well it does touch on that importance of seeing the person which is as important in healthcare as it is in any other aspect of life as well so it's a yeah. poem called gifted
4: yeah um, doctors proclaim a symptom but i proclaim gifted The voices in my head are not solely in my mind, but they are in your brain too, acting as my spies. You hear not their whispers, but they hear all of yours and report them back to me, so I can know for certain when your lips tell lies. Your internal reactions, I feel them too. And when your smile is fake, I can see through. I know what you think and I know what you feel. You cannot dissuade me for I know what is real. Doctors say medicate. I say a higher mental state, aware of toxicity and false claims, a double-edged sword, which can cause distress, but also liberty. From the snakes and the vultures, I am free. From words of poison and two-faced spite, I will not let them associate with me. Doctors suggest paranoia, but I suggest jealousy, that they cannot read me as easily as I to them, and while they know not my words' instigators, I know from where their thoughts stem. Doctors diagnose delusional, but I diagnose gifted.
5: Amazing. Do you, I mean, I know obviously within, like you write, you also have your band as well, and clearly poetry too. Do you find a kind of artistic way of expressing things, can that help you as well?
4: Yeah, 100% like... Um, I only really properly discovered writing like 2 years ago and it is the it's the thing now my kind of go to for helping with my mental health uh, and and it, yeah I think particularly with creative endeavors or or if you're involved in creativity there needs to be this this desire of how other people are going to view it and then at some point I just had to kind of say no fuck that I don't really Care what other people think about this I'm just gonna write because I want to get these thoughts out my head and, <laughs> and whatever and you know um, I, I very rarely actually read back the products of my own writing unless it unless it, I'm, I know it is gonna go to someone else because it's just a yeah it's such a cathartic practice to remove thoughts from your brain that otherwise would just keep on running around there you know <laughs>
5: <laughs> is that how it feels then for you when you are writing stuff that it's kind of it's getting it out of you and then it's kind of yeah. read it then or or see what it's like but it's that thing for you is to actually get it out of your head and suffer.
4: yeah yeah generally yeah I find that quite a lot I yeah I am um, I've someone recently kind of that, that as so, as soon as I as soon as I finish a bit of writing I I kind of forget about it and I don't really it. I just don't care about it anymore. All I care about is the next thing I'm going to write. Um, and yeah, it's quite an exhausting mindset to have And you never really appreciate the things you're working on. Um, and, but that works through, throughout an amalgamation of different things. Like if it's, you know, if, if it is for my band, then maybe it's a certain lyric idea that's just going to keep gnawing away at me that I need to figure out how to process and get down. Or it might be, um, I'm currently working on a, on a fiction story and, you know, if there's a, particularly, a particular scene in that, that that just will not stop running around my head, then, then I know it's, it is demanding to be written. And so that's, that's how I slow my thoughts, I guess. Yeah, it's quite nice. Yes.
5: <laughs> no, it's, it's really interesting. And does it link to, I mean, the next reading is on compulsive thinking and things like that. And is that slightly a sort of part of that then?
4: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, I really, you know, I, 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 yeah, yeah. Compulsive thinking I struggle with quite a lot because um, I think it's, it's definitely an experience. Literally, anyone can relate to. We've all had racing thoughts and and that. Um, but I think I think it makes it especially difficult if you if you're having these racing thoughts and then you add voices narrating on top of that, and they. Yeah. Uh, So so particularly if you're, um, like this chapter is about assuming the worst because of compulsive thinking, and I think that is more of a product of the the combination of having really quick thoughts, even if they are positive and creative maybe, Um, but there's like this this other thing that's saying, no, we're going to take the idea this way, and you don't have a choice about that (laughs) anymore. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, it doesn't leap to falsify radical conclusions. It is an ever-evolving and logical step-by-step process in which the menial becomes cataclysmical. The feather turns to the brick in a perfectly fashioned process. Every detail of the progression makes absolute sense. And even if the overall picture may seem skewed, the adaptation of thoughts from harm conjunction takes mere moments. In some ways, anxiety may make the greatest detective known to the world if only those races of thought led to more accurate conclusions. See, this is the problem with overthinking. The conclusion may seem ludicrous and laughable, but the journey of ideas which the conclusion was conceived rarely seems anything but infallible. The brain seems to make 40 split-second decisions in the time of a blink, faster when under pressure, with the distances of each leap varying considerably under plotline twisting and turning based on fear. Compulsive overthinking stems from fear then, surely. It is the idea and paranoia of a thousand what-ifs in a singular rapidly shifting stream of consciousness that avoids any sense of conscientious rationality. The pathway of anxiety is that of a long looming corridor with walls that stretch beyond sight, scraping more than just the sky or the clouds, but the very fabrics of space. They loom intimidatingly over our small and nervous skeletons as we are forced to believe that the only explanation is to sprint down this corridor of melancholia with heart pounding and sweat soaking our very souls as we run and run and run. Vicious walls decorated with our memories and traumas race us on either side, closing in, and it is impossible not to notice the pictures that most appeal to our fear-induced fantasies, the image that flash in duality with what our minds are already scared of. The corridor does end, eventually, leaving us with new explanations that we picked up in our panic from those most vivid portraits of terror that haunted our running track. But what we failed to realise before sprinting down those overfilled halls was our perspective. In front lies fear and a lack of focus, and in that fear, when it beckoned, we ran towards it, our mind racing faster than our bodies, finding conclusion and evidence in its adrenaline-infused search for space. We never thought to turn around though. Maybe behind mere steps away the walls and walkways are shorter, the decorations barren and unobtrusive, a shorter calmer stroll, a viewpoint to assess and review accurately. So it is exceedingly difficult to never jump to conclusions, yes, overthink or put oneself into a panic. Maybe our brains or bodies enjoy the rush actually. However, it is imperative to living a slightly less troubled life that we learn how to reframe our anxieties, to take a step back and focus with realism rather than let our imaginations take the reins of our hearts, leading us to chaos. Step back and analyse before stepping forward with a plan.
5: Amazing. Do you think um, the way what you're writing about, like the different parts of your experiences and topics like that one, Mm -hmm. compulsive thinking, do you think that influences kind of how you write about them as well. it's like you kind of write a style that links more to compulsive thinking and kind of it comes because it really, really comes through yeah. in your writing. You can kind of get a sense a little bit of how that feels just from hearing you say it. And you think, yeah, it does change little parts in the book. The writing style is slightly different depending on the different experiences you're you're describing.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that comes across like that because I as I specifically wrote certain chapters when I was in certain states of mind. Like some of the some poems are written when I was actually having psych- psychotic episodes or something um, to give that as as close to a first person example as I could. And yeah, it definitely influenced the style of writing um, across it. And yeah, I think even unintentionally, like you like you're saying, like maybe when I started writing that then then that wasn't really in my in my head too much. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's difficult to look back and remember, them, but yeah, for sure. Um, it certainly has
5: impact when hearing it in that sense. Um, well, thank you. Good. So the next thing that we were then going to move on to chat a bit about, which we've touched on throughout this, I think is the huge impact it can have when you're made to feel different um, and a quote from the book, which um, I know when uh, colleague Lynn was first going through this and helping us plan this event. She's the one that does all of the, the hard work in the backgrounds, and then I just appear on the screen and smile and ask <laughs> questions. Um, but she picked out this quote um, from the book, which says, "You only notice your differences when they're pointed out. Shame ensued, as did distrust." I'd even argue it catalysed the other symptoms. I mean, that just in itself, that like short snapshot, which I also felt a lot of pressure reading that after hearing you read everything so passionately. I was like, "All right, I've got <laughs> got about seven words to read here, but not mess them <laughs> up." Well, no, I thought, um, it really showed that the impact that it can have on someone when they're made to feel excluded, um, yeah. or, and a lot of the the work we've done and when we've spoken to our volunteers or people. Across Scotland, that fear of being excluded, judged, treated differently, has such a massive impact. Um, sometimes I know it has been said for some people, like that kind of the stigma and discrimination that you can feel can be as big an impact, or more so, than the actual symptoms mm-hmm. too. And that is something that we see across society playing out massively. We did some polling as mm-hmm. part of a, a report we did called "The Journey of the Social Movement," which came out in March. And one of the questions we asked just in general to people across society was, would you speak about your mental health? And 30% of people said that they wouldn't. So on one hand, it's good because the majority would. Some didn't know, but the yeah. majority would. But even in that, if like one in three people, and that's not even mental health conditions or symptoms of a mental health problem, that is just speaking about your mental health. Yeah. In the same way that no one would probably say they don't want to speak about their physical health. Well, some people. Wouldn't but most I think the numbers would nowhere near be is that high. That nearly one in three. Be
4: like, oh, absolutely, yeah. Not talking I, I, about I that. Th- I wonder if, if a part of that comes from, if, if, if comes from people people maybe not realizing things they experience might be linked to mental health. You know, I think no no one, or we live in a society where either people are really talking about it or or people. I think there's there's there can be some degree of like like. That doesn't affect me, so I'm not really going to bother learning about it. But like, I, I promise you, everyone is affected by it in some way. Like, There is not a single person on this planet who has not been impacted by mental health, whether it be their own or, or someone else's. Like, it's so pre- prevalent now.
5: It is, and it's that idea of trying to get just a sort of common base understanding across society that mental health is a spectrum like other things like you can have good mental health like mental health isn't or isn't just mental health problems yeah it, exactly. it, there's so much more to it mental health problems are part of what's like could be what's something that people experience but mm-hmm. until i <clears throat> think everyone kind of understands at least that they have mental health even if they're feeling good then their mental health is probably good um and to even consider that but it might not always be good it, it, yeah. it People go through various things within their life, which mm-hmm. can impact that. And then for some people, it might impact them for a day; others for a week; some for months. Some it can then, it will, for whatever reason, can trigger a kind of a lifetime of varying experiences. But even in that, that's not always a consistent. Even if you have like a diagnosis, no. that doesn't mean that you're always going to be feeling the exact same way. Everything's going to be the same all the time. Mm-hmm. You have differing periods just like everybody else does with how they're feeling as well and And
4: it's so important to to recognize those differing periods as well
5: it is and a lot of that i think that's kind of set people into not understanding that Mm -hmm. is for a long time been the language use around mental health mental health always came with issues or problems or conditions or whatever it might be at the end of it it didn't really ever just stand alone in itself And when it did, it often kind of implicitly meant one of those other things already anyway.
0: Okay, that is the end of part one of our chat with Spencer. Uh, We will be putting out the second part next week or in a couple of days' time, but um, keep refreshing wherever you listen to this and it will come out at some point. So Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Dee and Lynn and Maeve for coming and chatting and yeah we will catch up with you very soon bye everyone bye